Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card, issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval terms apply. Want to learn a new language? And who doesn't? Well, experience immersive lessons from the most trusted language app, Rosetta Stone. You know you keep telling yourself you want to learn a new language. The true accent feature even gives feedback on your pronunciation so you can speak the language like a native. Find lessons as short as 10 minutes, making it easy for you to learn anytime, anywhere. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Star Talk Radio listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash startalk today. Welcome to StarTalk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. StarTalk begins right now. This is StarTalk. Neil deGrasse Tyson here, your personal astrophysicist. And today, we're going to talk about spacesuits, which, or we could retitle this, How to Not Die in Space. <laughs> and I've got with me co-host Matt Kirshen. Matt, good to have you, man. Good to be here. I, I'm, I'm at home right now. I'm back home, which is uh, another way to not die in space. Uh, it's just stay safe. Well, being on Earth is a way to not die in space. Staying I safely in Los Angeles. <laughs> it's, uh, that's my tip for this episode. <laughs> so this is kind of a hybridized, uh, it's going to be sort of an info show on spacesuits, spacesuit design, what it's protecting us from, why, why is it necessary, uh, and then we're going to blend in some cosmic queries in the second and third segment. So uh, I look forward to this. Not, well, I know a little bit about spacesuits. I don't know nearly enough to carry this show. So we combed the landscape of people with this kind of expertise, and they exist, Okay. <laughs> And we found Professor Ana Diaz-Artiles. Ana, welcome to Star Talk. Hi, thank you so much for having me here. This is great. I, I love it. You're an assistant professor in the Department of Aerospace Engineering at Texas A&M. And you have developed, or in the process of developing, a new spacesuit. And it's called the Smart Suit. So I want to totally get into that. But in this moment, you're coming to us from Barcelona. Is that correct? Right. I'm, I'm originally from Spain, although I, I was born in Canary Islands, but I'm now in Barcelona. My husband is from, from Barcelona, so I'm here visiting some family. Okay. I love the Canary Islands. We have some telescopes there. <laughs> uh, there's volcanic and there's some That's good right. wine there too. There's, some, there's a wine industry. So we got to bring you back. We'll talk about the Canary Islands. <laughs> <laughs> For That's sure. A whole, a, a whole other show. And... Uh, and Matt, you're not just my co-host, comedian. You host your own podcast, 
probably science. That's the one. And I've, I've been a guest. I've been on a guest on that show. You, you, you have indeed. And, and uh, yes, yeah, so we've got that connection. The, the connection I have with Anna is I've sent in my designs for spacesuits many times to universities around the world. No reply so far. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I. I, I She'll tell you why. Yeah. <laughs> She'll tell you. I, I'm wondering if if the fishbowl is not using high enough quality material. I think because because I'm I'm using Target, you know, just like a, a standard Target fishbowl. But maybe you need to go to one of like the specialist pet supply stores or. Like oh yeah, I mean the fishbowl inverted on your head. Is that what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, exactly. As a you know, that's <laughs> it's fishbowl and jumpsuit. What more do you need? I can't imagine. I think that's the end of the science, right? We're done. Episode over. Oh. There you go. Okay, so Anna. Why, in just that moment, was Matt a complete idiot? <laughs> no, no, Anna, what kills you in space? Why can't we just hold our breath until we get to our destination? There could be many things that can kill you in space, but if I had to pick one, I would say, you know, we do have a lack of atmosphere. There isn't any pressure putting on your body. So that lack of pressure is actually going to make all your fluids basically become gas, and then you're going to boil in space uh, pretty quickly. Wow. Okay, so that's not even about whether you can hold your breath. No, actually, uh, if you hold your breath, like that's not a good idea because that oxygen, that, that um, fluid that you're holding, is going to expand also because of the lack of pressure. And, and then... You know, that is not going to be good for your lungs if, oh, if that, that, that expands. I've, I've obviously, I've never been to space, but I have gone scuba diving. And one of the very first things they tell you that they drum into you very many times is you must not hold your breath as you come up to the surface for that exact reason. Because you've, you've breathed in air at high pressure down in the depths. And then as you come up to the lower pressure on the surface, you could basically burst, right? Wait, so Anna, that sounds like exactly the same problem. Is that correct? That's, I was going to say, that's exactly the same problem. It's, it's just the other way around. Um, when we go into a spacesuit, we're generally going into lower pressures compared to, to the spacecraft they were having. And, and there are many reasons why we want to go to lower pressures. And one of them is mobility. We can talk about it. But then if we think about scuba diving, the problem is not when you go down, but it's actually when you go up, because uh, you go for higher pressure to lower pressures. And, and this is why I'm not a diver, unfortunately, but um, this is why you need to to do all these waiting times and, and you cannot just go up to the surface really quickly. You need to stage those. Mm-hmm. Like, so, so Anna, how did you get into this? I mean, were you were a little little child and said, I want to design spacesuit. I mean, like who who does this? <laughs> right. <laughs> Did you watch some movie? Was, was like, did you have visits someplace? <laughs> How does one become a spacesuit designer? I, maybe that's that's really what the question is. Yeah, so I am. Um, I'm I'm just a traditional aerospace engineer. Um, just a regular aerospace <laughs> engineer. <laughs> the kind you just meet just down the kind the you bump into. Yeah. You bump into them on the street all the time. I've always been fascinated with space, and and yes, there was a movie. It was actually. Um, a TV series uh, from the Earth to the Moon. I don't know if you remember this. Was yes, that, of course. Yes, like, yes. 1997, if I remember correctly. And uh, uh, you know, we didn't have Netflix or anything at the time, so you just had to be there on Saturdays at 7 p.m. Otherwise, you missed the whole thing. Or it wasn't streaming. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah, it was at the time that I was finishing high school and just like, what do I want to do with my life and, and such. So, so yeah, certainly. I, said, this is what I want to do. I want to do space. And um, and I started working my way into that. 
Uh, so I went into aerospace engineer and and then I went to industry for a while. Uh, so I didn't do research right after um, my degree. Um, and I... Well, let's be clear, Matt, if you didn't know this. She could go on for more education or she can make a boatload of money going into industry immediately. <laughs> and that is the choice. Is that correct, Anna? Tell Fess up. This is what happened. Correct? Well, um, I, I, I was launching rockets. I was in operations and, and related to space. So, so very far away from research, but still space related. Um, and I was there for a while. I was there for a few years. That's true. <laughs> well, that, that, okay, that, okay. That's always... That's always been my issue with, you know, whenever anyone, to take us marginally off topic, whenever anyone, there's like, you know, climate change or evolution arguments, and they're always like, these, these academic elites, like, do you have any idea how unelite academics are compared, <laughs> <That's> to, <correct. laughs> compared to what they could be doing with their, with their learning the, and their yeah, brains? How much money they, how much money they don't make compared to how much money they could. They've turned down the C-suite right. for, for hacky sacks and sandals, <laughs> you know. <laughs> So, so yeah, so I'm, I'm impressed that this TV series uh, had an impact on you because uh, do we fully, do we really know how much influence our media has on people's ambitions? I don't think we think about it enough. We just think of it as entertainment. But my gosh, if it puts you on a path to where you are now, that people need to know that. It, it did. And I, I feel like I've told this story before. So I, so I feel like I'm always repeating myself, but certainly was a game changer for me. And, and at the time, also, we didn't have this, this huge social media or, or social presence. Um, so so that, that's something that I, I definitely try to contribute. And with this podcast and, and you know, trying to tell, especially little girls and, and you know, STEM and, and girls in particular, because they, you know, it has been shown, they, they sort of start not becoming interested in, in STEM disciplines anymore. So, so I'm trying to do my part on that. <laughs> right, 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 right. So, so okay, so um, getting back to the, the inventory of all that will kill you in space. So, so one of them is your blood begins to boil and outgas. Okay, that can't be good for what's going on inside your skin. So what about the temperatures? You start getting very cold um, to the point that it eventually you will freeze. But I, I, I believe you will die way before that. Uh, so <laughs> you, will, you will die because. So don't you know. worry about freezing. <laughs> so the temperature will just preserve the corpse that's already there. Like <laughs> uh, Yeah, you will die because of asphyxiation. And in in two minutes or less, uh, and then you know you start getting cold, and eventually you will be like a freeze rock in there. Um, I, I don't think it will happen very very quickly, but it will eventually happen. Yeah, because all the heat has to still come out of your body, and that that would take time, I guess. Right. But but wait, so so do you do you asphyxiate before your blood boils? What happens first? Well, I, I don't have uh, experience with this, thankfully. Uh, but I, yeah, I, I guess you. I guess you can't just put a person out there and say, "Well, you'll be out test case." Right, <laughs> right. So I've been reading a little bit about it too to see. Well, it's, let's see what we think this will happen. But I, I believe you will asphyxiate first, like you will pass out uh, first, and then eventually die thirty seconds later um, because you don't have any any more oxygen going anywhere because there is no no oxygen to 
to take from. And also your blood is, is not liquid anymore. It's not bringing oxygen to your uh, tissues anymore. So, so, it's so this is a matter of minutes. Oxygen. This yeah, is a matter of yeah, minutes, yeah. you're saying. Yes. So, so, so here's, my, here's what I really, a question I really wanted to get to. Uh, I, I grew up a little bit before you, or a lot before you, and astronauts wore spacesuits. So I didn't think to myself, I need to go into spacesuit design because they already had them. So did you see a flaw or a need that others didn't in spacesuit design for it to attract you as one of its students and then ultimately one of its researchers? Yeah, yeah. And I have to give all the credit to my PhD advisor, one of my PhD advisors, Dr. David Newman. And this is how I, I did get into spacesuit design. Going back to, to that I was in industry, then I decided to go back to academia and get a PhD. And I was lucky enough to get into MIT where I started working with Dr. Deva Newman. And she, she has been doing... Wait, wait, Anna, just wait, Anna, 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 <laughs> it wasn't luck, right? <laughs> if you're good, they'll take you. There's no luck involved. Uh, now, let's be clear about this, okay? Okay, I'll reword that sentence for you. Okay. They realized how important I would be to their group, so they brought me on, okay? That's now, it. Now, pick it up from there. That's Go. it, that's it. So I joined this amazing group of individuals, and I, I for my first two years in grad school, I, I worked on a project on spacesuits and trying to understand um, how humans interact with these spacesuits. So the human spacesuit interaction, like spacesuit as a system, you put this system around a human and this human has to move um, and not get injured and being able to do all these tasks and do right, that. Because they really did look well. a little bulky on the moon. That looked like that's a lot of spacesuit they wear in there. Yeah. Right. So this this injury aspect it was the one that I started looking into at the time. And and unfortunately it's it's really hard to move inside the spacesuits. It's like this big pressurized balloon that causes a lot of problems and musculoskeletal issues. And lots of astronauts actually had surgeries in their shoulders because of the spacesuits. It's a big, big oh, wow. issue that maybe, you know, we don't think often about it. Um, and this is how I got first exposed to, to start thinking about all these issues with spacesuits. Okay, so now before we go to a break, we've seen new design spacesuits uh, like a SpaceX, I guess, those look kind of even stylish, right? And they're not so bulky as we saw the astronauts going to the moon wear. Um, so uh, does anyone care, like, what they look like? <laughs> is their style involved as well? There is, but be before getting into that, the, the SpaceX spacesuits, these are spacesuits designed for inside these spacecraft. So these are IVA, spacesuits intravehicular activity. And the bulky ones that you imagine uh, when going back to the moon and all those big ones, these ones are EVA, so extravehicular activities. So these are very, very different type of spacesuits. And it's normal that the, um, the ones for inside the spacecraft are way, way thinner and way, way okay, less I bulky understand. about it. Okay. okay, so Matt, I heard tell that this extravehicular activity term, NASA has finally, at some level, simply called it spacewalking. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> They've just cut out, yeah. There's too many acronyms already, or initialisms. Too many, too many syllables. Just just tell it like it is, spacewalk. But then they're floating, really. They're really space floating. So Space swimming. For I, I now, never really liked... For now, they are just floating. But when we are going to the moon, 
we need other things. No, she's ready. Okay, excuse me. Okay. <laughs> excuse me. I don't mean to hold you back. Okay. Uh, going to the one. All right, so do you think much, and we'll get more of this in the other segments, do you think much about how the role of the spacesuit, depending on how strong the gravity is on the object you're going to use it? So on the moon, it's like one-sixth gravity, right? So the suits they wore on the, you know, the Apollo astronauts were very heavy on Earth. And but when you divide by six, it's not it's not so bad. So uh, I presume there's a different design for what would be a moon suit versus a Mars suit, where Mars you weigh like forty percent of your of your current weight. So how do you think about the the gravity field that you're in? Yeah, I know that that's a great question, and I don't think we we have been thinking about that very much because it's not like we go to different gravity levels every day and we can just pick the gravity level that we want. But mm-hmm. but yeah, certainly now we are starting to think about, or you know, the, the last few years to think about moon, moon spacesuits. And um, I, 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 I think they, they want to do those spaces a little bit lighter. I'm, right, because a, a spacesuit that might be too heavy for Mars might be just right for the moon. Right. I guess that's really all I'm, I'm commenting on here. Yeah, yeah. So I somebody agree. has to go in there and, and, and figure that out for that. Well, why don't we take a quick break? And I just want to talk a little bit more about the design of current spacesuits and any specific changes you are making to them, or any, more, more interestingly, I think, any particular innovations that no one even thought to do that would make going into space that much more pleasurable than anyone had experienced before. So we're on Star Talk, all about spacesuits, and we'll get to Cosmic Queries in a minute. And I'm with my co-host, Matt Kirshen, and Dr. Ana Diaz-Artiles, aerospace engineer and expert on spacesuits, when Star Talk continues. Working moms have way too many to-dos. Switch to H&R Block and have an expert do your taxes for you. Block guarantees 100% accuracy and your max refund or your money back. And with their no surprise guarantee, you'll always know the price of your tax prep before you begin. You can even meet with a tax pro in a block office or online from home. So take a breath, moms. This tax season, it's better with Block. Make an appointment at hrblock.com. All tax situations are different. Not everyone gets a refund. Limitations apply. Description of benefits and details at hrblock.com slash guarantees. You know what shouldn't feel like rocket science? Planning a vacation your whole crew will love. With Carnival Cruise Line, it's all up to you. You can kick back or dive right into the fun. Paddleboard in the crystal clear waters of one of Carnival's exclusive destinations, Half Moon Key in the Bahamas. Take an ATV ride through the jungle or just relax on white sandy Caribbean beaches. The fun continues on ship from a ride on the Bolt roller coaster to a moment of pure bliss at the Cloud Nine Spa. Kick off the evening with a craft cocktail at any of Carnival's dazzling bars and lounges and take your pick of restaurants from surf and turf to family-style Italian. Then settle in for an evening of live entertainment. Whatever your vibe is, you'll come home with plenty of stories to tell. So pack those bags, be sure to leave room for a few unforgettable memories because no one does fun 
like Carnival. Book your dream vacation at Carnival.com. Ships Registry, the Bahamas and Panama. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. Hi, I'm Chris Cohen from Haworth, New Jersey, and I support Star Talk on Patreon. Please enjoy this episode of Star Talk Radio with your and my favorite personal astrophysicist, Neil deGrasse Tyson. We're back, Star Talk Hybrid Cosmic Queries Edition. We're really trying to learn about spacesuits, and we have uh, one of the world's experts on it, uh, Professor Anna. Diaz Artides <laughs> at the Texas A&M Department of Aerospace Engineering. And uh, remind me what town at Texas A&M is in. Um, it's in College Station, Texas. Oh, of course, College, oh, Station, College Station, Texas. That's right. That's right. And uh, A&M, of course, stands for agriculture and uh, mining, I guess? Mechanical. I mean, his, Mechanical. Okay. Yeah, so this is one of the land-grant institutions where science for better living has been a fundamental part of their mission statements. There's a bunch of them across the country. And so uh, so there it is. And you know, in Texas, because Texas has the uh, Johnson Space Center and it's the seat of the manned space program, uh, you'd expect Texas to be a little more up on just what, what you're telling us and what you specialize in because they care. It's, it's in their backyard, right? So, uh, so I love it. I love it. So what about the threat of sort of ionizing radiation from the sun? When we think of sort of the solar wind, we think of them as sort of innocent charged particles deflected by our magnetic field on Earth, and you get the aurora. But if you're bare-assed in space, or sorry, if you're in a spacesuit in space, are, are the spacesuits you're designing protecting astronauts from that as well? That's the million-dollar question. So I'm going to start by saying I'm not a radiation person. Uh, but what I understand from radiation is that we don't really know what to do about it very much. Basically, we just hide whenever we know radiation is coming. <laughs> <laughs> that works every time. And I apologize <laughs> if there are radiation people out there with better answers than me. I apologize for that. But yeah, but 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 hiding works is 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 what you're saying. Hiding works, and we we do have the means to know when there is something coming from the sun and a coronal mass ejection or a flare. We we know when those are coming and. And, you know, we can just seek shelter. We don't do EVAs or spacewalks when we know there's sun activity coming our way. So that's, that's the way to deal with it today. As far as I know, this is and how And what's interesting it. is we do call it, NASA calls it space weather. And 
just like if there was thunderstorms outside, you would you either wouldn't go out until it stopped, or you would bring on special protection. So I guess in in terms of how you would react to that information, it's not fundamentally different from what we do daily, just in life when we're preparing for the weather. Absolutely, uh, and the other you know the other way to deal with it, and and I guess this is more transportation. If we want to go to the moon or we want to go to Mars, the other way is just go faster. So you are exposed less time to oh, it. Oh, of course, uh, yeah. <laughs> the yeah. other way. That takes more fuel. It takes more fuel and, to go faster. And, and we, we don't know how to go that fast yet to Mars, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I guess other people are, are looking into those new technologies to get faster. So, Matt, what we need is a wormhole between Earth and Mars. You, you just step through it yeah. or what and, is, say, and enjoy it. And then, and then, and then the, you know, the coronal mass ejection comes, you just step back to Earth. Protected by our atmosphere. See, it's, just, it's easy when you put it that way. My 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 idea was just to move Mars closer. But- <laughs> I love your ideas, Matt. They're, they're, they're really- I'll, I'll show you. I'll show you my drawings later. Uh- yeah, of course. And, and you did them in crayon, I bet, right? <laughs> well, you got to make an effort when this is science. You know, this is you know, I can't just do black and white. Let's you know. Exactly, full color Crayola. Full color, there's dragons, so, so, there's Matt, swords. You, it's really, it's really colorful. Uh, do you have questions from our uh, Patreon members? I do. Members, so, so Matt. as well as, um, as well as radiation, a couple of our uh, listeners, uh, Salvatore Skiri and uh, Alan in the Stars, are both asking about micrometeorites, uh, like the one that knocked the mirror Ooh, out one. of the JWST out of alignment. And also, uh, Salvatore says, "What are the chances of micro-sized meteors puncturing spacesuits, and what can be done to mitigate the consequences?" And how do they? Yeah, how does and, it feel and Anna, Alan wants to know. And and I want to add to that: uh, is there there's presumably a trade-off between how much protection a suit gives you and how less useful it becomes, because you can just put out put people out there in a in a cement block or whatever, and they'll be fully protected, but you can't do anything in it. So, do you ever think about those kind of engineering trade-offs between safety and utility? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so in terms of, of protection, the, the current spacesuit has up to 14 different layers. And one of them, or a few of them, are just for protection. So there is thermal protection. And there is this, this other one, who, which is exactly for um, what this listener is, is asking for micrometeorites. That doesn't mean every, you know, there is like a big thing coming your way. It's, it's going to make you a, a hole in the space. So that's a risk that that we know that exists. And, and actually, that's one of the risks that we want to attack from, you know, the, the kind of um, smart suit things that they were doing. But um, there is always a risk for that, although there is some layer of protection in there. Wait, wait so what is a smart suit then? So the smart suit is is our new new spacesuit architecture that that we are studying, and and we got some NASA funding to to do some research on this. Uh, so this the smart suit it's it's still a gas pressurized suit, and we haven't talked about mechanical counter pressure suits. We can do that too, but um but basically we are adding cool technology to the current spacesuit, and one of those technologies is to have a self-healing membrane on the outside of the spacesuit. So, for example, in the case of a puncture... Well, no, Anna, I've only seen that in science fiction movies. What are you talking uh, well, about? Well, it, it, this is still a little bit science fiction. We are making this a reality. Uh, and when you have a hole, you can just put some pressure on it, and, and then it's just, it's just going to self-heal. Um, so you can come back to safety and, and maybe later do better repairs, but at least it keeps you alive and you can come back to... 
to your shelter wow. to do that. Okay, so actually, if you if you get punctured and then you, it self heals, you you be a, a collecting device for micrometeorites. <laughs> <So> <laughs> you'd be full of micrometeorites, and you just bring them all back down for analysis. That that could work, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, it depends if it passed through. Maybe it just goes away from the other side. So the little bit I know about sort of ballistic uh, protection, you know, a clothing protection is if you have many many layers, uh, if a if if an impactor hits the top layer, that energy now has to sort of work its way to the next layer, and there's a lot of dissipation at each layer. So is that why there are so many layers, to spread the energy out? I, I think it, it's more about all the functionalities that uh, we need in the spacesuit. So we definitely need um, temperature management. So the first three layers are for um, something that we call the liquid cooling and ventilation garments which is a garment that has water circulating. Um, so then you can regulate, if you, if you are too hot, you can you know, increase the flow and then that's going to help you with, with temperature regulation. Then you have another layer that it's, it's for the pressure. It's the pressure bladder, like the one that holds the pressure of your spacesuit. Then there is another one that it's called the restraint layer. And that's basically to avoid the bladder to be like a balloon in in oh interesting in yeah otherwise it'll puff form. up yeah right interesting interesting uh, and then you have all these other like thermal protection micrometeorite protection um, and I think it's it's more about that um, the case of puncture um, again I, I this these spaces were designed like fifty years ago but um I, I'm, there are some some layers to protect you or trying to protect you from that. But if, if you know, unfortunately, this happens regularly or sometimes in the ISS too, like there is like a hole just coming and we just need to, mm -hmm. to put it. So it's it's one of those risks that are uh, up there and, and we try to manage it the best we can. But if, if there is like a big one coming really fast, I'm not sure we can do something about it, at least today. Well, if it's big enough to knock your head off, the, the spacesuit is not going to be that helpful, right? <laughs> it's got to be right. right. There's got to be a category of of, of meteorite that or meteor that just like the spacesuit is not help. Uh, but but let me ask this another question: At what point can the spacesuit become kind of? Uh, I'm, I'm not using the right word here, but it's the word that comes to my mind: an exoskeleton, where the spacesuit is empowered with tools and and machinery or or software, whatever, so that it's not just smart because it's keeping you alive better. It's smart because it's an extension of what it is you need to do in your environment. So the answer is, as today, there isn't any sort of exoskeleton helping you out. But that's the second feature, I guess, that we are... Uh, I mentioned three different features. So we talked about the self-healing membrane and then the exoskeleton, soft exoskeleton is, is the second one that we are trying to implement. And that's exactly um, what you said. It's, it's just so hard to move within this highly pressurized environment that we can use a little help uh, to bend your arm or bend your knee, walk around, right. and, and even... Right. We can think a little bit more more smarter than that, right? Like the suit can anticipate your movements and just helping you walk naturally um, if, 
if the suit knows that you're going to walk and do a certain task or, or something exactly. like that. Exactly. I mean, why not engage the suit in part of what your body is trying to do? So it's not just an enclosure for you, it becomes an extension of you. Right, right, right. So, and and uh, instead of the traditional exoskeletons that we can think about, which are typically hard, um, you know, hardware and, and hard and, and hard and humans are, are never never good with one another. So we are looking into soft exoskeletons. So these are very compliant materials that you can put inside your spacesuit and and can make that human spacesuit interaction a little bit easier, avoid injuries and, and all those things. I just realized just in this moment, but of course, it's surely something you guys think about all the time, that advances in your field often depend on advances in material science. You've got to read their journals to find out if there's something that you could exploit for your own needs, right? So how much do you guys talk to material scientists? Yeah, so I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I definitely want to uh, mention my, my colleague and co-investigator, Professor Rob Shepard. He is a professor at Cornell University. I used, I used to be at Cornell, so this is why I, I know mm. him very well. And this is a project from both of us, and he's the materials guy, and he's the robotics guy that it's making okay. and all this technology. Um, and then I'm, I'm bringing more of this space knowledge and the space components on so it. So he's got a foot in both camps. You mm -hmm. see, Matt, I keep thinking, you know, if do comedians have... Material comedians. Yeah. <laughs> They're called prop comics. Uh. <laughs> prop comics. <laughs> well, prop com Those are the ones that have that pull stuff out of a out of a bin. Yeah, so and then you know, use the, it for their jokes. They'll collaborate with like an umbrella glued to a phone guy at a different. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. And, uh, so those are the those are the material science. <laughs> Yeah. Comedians. The materials yes. comedians. Um, we do have, while we're talking about pressure, John David Newman wrote in saying, why does our current spacesuit have 4.3 PSI? Is that a consequence of the suit itself, or was 4.3 PSI a health and safety requirement? Granting better mobility from lowering the PSI is great, but are there any health risks of lowering the pressure on our body in space? Well, wait, so regular pressure is like 15 pounds per square inch, right? 14, 14.7, I think, PSI. Oh, okay, I was way off. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But okay. there's one so number 14, we need to remember. Is that. <laughs> okay, so 14.7 yeah. at sea level. And so this person clearly, like, they either know what they're talking about or they don't. They're just coming in saying 4.3, which is obviously much less than sea level. So if that's correct, are we susceptible to this boiling problem under that such low pressures? Yeah, so that going back to your question about trade-offs. Um, so here we have a really, really interesting trade-off between pressure in the suit. You want to have less pressure because it's easier to move. Decompression sickness that you mentioned, um, you know, we need to be careful if we go very low. And if, if we do, we need to make sure we are going to... Um, we are going to make sure we do it safely, and that requires lots of time of free breathing, pure oxygen. Um, and then the third aspect, I guess, is mobility. So pressure, mobility, and decompression sickness, which translates into operations. People in the space station now can pre-breathe pure oxygen uh, during up to four hours just to make sure they don't experience decompression sickness. So that, that's a, a huge investment. So that's, that's the bends you're describing. That's what scuba divers call. Yeah, the bends, I think yes. so. Yeah, exactly. Correct, yeah, the bends. That's the bends. What a, a scuba person would 
say it was the bands, right? Right. It is. Yeah, it is exactly what it is. So uh, we we ha- we don't know of any incidents of, of the bands in space, but um, but yeah, it's definitely a risk. And the lower you go, it is great for mobility, but then you need to be more careful with with this sort of thing. Okay, so so th- so it's a it's the trade off that mm-hmm. you're describing. Mm-hmm. Very very interesting. Okay. All right, why don't we take another break? And when we come back, we'll, we'll go all Cosmic Queries from our fan base and just find out how they're thinking about our future in space when Star Talk returns. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. We're back, Star Talk, talking about spacesuits. And we've got Professor Anna with us to tell us all about it. And of course, Matt Kirshen. Just to find out where everybody is on social media. Matt, how do we find you on social uh, media? I'm at Matt Kirshen on Twitter. I'm Matt underscore Kirshen on Instagram, which I almost never use. And if you just Google something vaguely close to my name and bang the keyboard, Google will find me. Okay. <laughs> and. And your uh, and your podcast, where can we find it? Uh, At a it's podcast pro- dealer near yeah, you. Yeah, prob- probably signs on all the podcast places. <laughs> oh, that's where we find you on social media. But do you also do stand up and things? We see you like in person. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I tour around. I'm mostly in the US these days, but I'm sometimes internationally. So yeah, find me. I normally tweet out when I'm I'm gigging. You can. Oh, good, excellent. You, you can find me at a Ex- Pestra Comedy Club near you to have me on. <laughs> and Anna, do you, uh, how do we know about what you do from a social media perspective? Do you? Are you, are you guys active? Is your group active online? Yeah, so we have Twitter. I, I have my own personal Twitter and then the lab at Texas A&M. It's called the Bioastronautics and Human Performance Lab. And again, I think if you Google my name or, or the lab's name or Texas A&M, spacesuits, um, it's, it's just going to pop should, up You again. should find it. And yeah. your name, Ana, with one N. With one Diaz, N, yes. And Artiles with mm-hmm. one L. Artiles, yeah. And okay, uh, so excellent. So, so I want to uh, bring back up your smart suit, 
and just to learn from you what what's the smartest thing you're putting in the smart suit that wasn't there before that Neil Armstrong didn't have as he <laughs> bounded around the lunar surface. Right. So as I mentioned, the smart suit has three technical innovations that current spacesuits don't have. The first one, uh, what I guess I'm going to start with the sub-robotic layer that we mentioned. So imagine this internal layer that is the smart soft robotic that helps you move around. It's, it's really hard to move inside. People basically have to fight against the, the spacesuit. And um, as Jeff Hoffman mentioned to me, former astronaut, he said, the spacesuit is always going to win. Ah, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm still in, it, it's a brilliant sentence. And, and you don't want that to be the case. Right? You don't want right. that you, to be the case. You want the human to win. So, okay, so if the suit senses that I, I want to bend my elbow and then helps me do it, is that what you're saying? That's that's the future. That's the idea. Um, mm -hmm. and, and this project also, I would mention, this is really futuristic. We were funded by NASA uh, with the NASA um, Innovative Advanced Concepts Projects. Okay. And this mm -hmm. is a, a program that only fans really crazy ideas like 10 years yeah, high down risk. the road. Yeah, high risk. I'm familiar with them. It's great. And in fact, uh, that wasn't always there. I mean, I think people had to lobby for that. And I don't mean literally lobby, but just, you know, describe why it's so valuable and to fund a crazy idea because sometimes they'll come true. And, and the person who does it has to be a little crazy themselves and that's okay too. <laughs> yeah, and, and sometimes things don't work and I guess that that's fine. At least what they want to do, they want to fan. So they, they are a wonderful pro people and, and program. So we were we were funded for with these guys, and uh, and all that to say that we are in the very early stages, and we are getting great um, research and really promising results. But it's still a little bit down the road to have this, you know, fully functional smart space that anticipates your movements and and these. Got things. it. Well, so when are you going to have a prototype? We do have a couple of neat um, sub-robotic uh, prototypes uh, that we have been characterizing, but just on, on a table, not on a human. So that would be the next the next stage. Okay, when can I try one on? Uh, well, I mean, if we get more funded, uh, we, uh -huh. we were planning to do um, to do a, a glove prototype, so we oh, can okay. we can implement all this. You know, we, we need to start small and, and sex, but sort of integrate all these technologies that we we're talking about. And, and I guess I never told you the third one. So we have the oh, self-robotic yes. um, layer, the self-healing membrane on the outside, and then embedded in the self-healing membrane, the idea is to have optoelectronic sensors that are um, display visually pressure of movement or, or are able to to enhance your interaction with the environment. Because with mm. these bulky gloves, like you can't feel anything. It's, it's really hard to do things with your hands or even with the rest of your body. Um, maybe you have portions in your body that are stretching too much and the self-healing membrane is going to break. Well, you want to know about it and we can put sensors all over that um, helps you with that. Right, and sensors today are very small compared to the old days. So you can... You can be sensing everything you need, right? Right, um, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Pressure, stress, everything. No, that's good. That's good. Okay, so so you're saying um, I, I can come by next week and I can try on a suit? Is right, that what you just yeah, said? yeah, yeah. I heard you say that, I thought. <laughs> come to the lab and we can show you around. <laughs> I'm once again, it's, it's the, second, really 
whenever you come to LA, you can try on my design, and it's uh. Your 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 new design, yes, yes, man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm just gonna say, does does the MIT Cornell one have a little bit of elastic that joins the two gloves together so you can't lose them? I don't think so. Oh, I see. <laughs> Goes through your jacket. That would be funny. Nice. Yeah, like like for little children. Yeah, it's yeah. smart. It's got it's got the name sewn into the back. I've thought of everything. Um, <laughs> you, you have, by the way, with your questions and answers, you've you've covered a bunch of the Patreon uh, questions that have come in. Like Jesse Desmond from Alaska was asking about having visual data within the helmet and voice commands. Nice. Um, nice. So it sounds okay. like that is and something you're implementing very much. So. Uh, mm -hmm. Loads of people. I, th I think I'd be doing them a disservice if I didn't push you further about this self-healing uh, thing because it'd be good if you can ask mention their names too. Yeah, like absolutely. To so, so Anthony yeah. Anthony Shana uh, from Plymouth, um, Alejandro Reynoso. Um, it's one of the people who's asked about this, um, and uh, I, I hope uh, there are other people as well. Let me. Um, I'll, I'll I'll throw in the extra names in a second, but they all want to know basically how this. How how this self healing works where the nanotechnology is involved? Um, oh, Tom Lindless also wants to know. Uh, I read it's supposed to have an outer layer of self healing material, and heard about it being used in things like rotor blades. But yet to understand what this material actually is, what does self healing mean for material, and how does it work, and what are its limitations? Ask Alejandro. So Anna, I think everyone wants to know about this self healing material, but you you your your co researcher. Is the expert in that correct? Yes, yes, he is the expert. Okay, so if, so I my sense is if anyone is not an expert in the self healing material, it's just magic. <laughs> <laughs> well, I also say it's a little bit of magic to me as well. Um, uh -huh. But it's it's really great, and and the the work that we have been able to do, he has been able to do in his lab. We had um you know it's a little piece like this, this big of um self healing material. With a sensor, optoelectronic sensor embedded on it, and and you can get a knife and cut through it. So you are gonna cut the membrane and also the optoelectronic sensor on it. So you can see that the signal is just going away. And then pretty much two minutes later, you get all this signal back up to eighty percent. And if you wait twenty four hours, the signal was completely back up to one hundred percent. Matt, like I said, it's magic. Yeah. <laughs> so the Arthur C. Clarke. Uh... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Okay. So to everyone but Anna and her colleagues, <laughs> it's magic. I will take that. We'll take magic, Anna. We're fine. So, so is this is this an ingredient that you can tell us what? I mean, is it a, is it a substance we've seen or encountered or or not? Yeah, I, I think it, you need to know the right formulation and 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 be able to know how to put it together and then make it in in the lab. And it's what what we were able to do. The next steps will be to really figure out if this is going to work in in extreme temperatures or extreme. Oh yes, the environment. Oh my gosh, that's another thing we don't know yet. Um, and we and Anna, I have to emphasize there when we build space vehicles. It's not good enough just to work in the lab. It's got to, you got to shake it and bake it and heat heat it and cool it and all the 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 lubricants have to work under all those conditions and the the metals can't expand too much or too little. I mean, yeah, I, I, you can't emphasize that too much about testing it in actual um, in, in real real cases, real right, case, real conditions, case studies, real conditions. 
I've just recently been binging on the Isaac Asimov uh, story Foundations, now streaming. And a big part of it, it's just in the background, there are people you can infuse your body with nanobots and they know how to like heal an injury for you. And so, because they just work their magic, they're like healing nanobots. And so I think that's why, Matt, that person asked about nanobots, whether it's, it's <laughs> yeah, a nano thing going on. Yeah, there's definitely been a couple of questions, yeah, about that, whether it can sort of fix people as well. Um, right, so right, th okay. There's a really interesting question that comes in from um, Ruhan Periacheri from the Bay Area. It says, is there anything we are sacrificing to make this suit so light? I find it incredible we're able to cram all the tech from the old spacesuits into this new smaller model, but were there any features cut during the process? Well, uh, wait, wait, or, I have to interact. Interject. I must interject. Smaller right? was my, smaller was my edition, by the way. Sorry, that... <laughs> okay. Oh, it was yours? Okay, yeah, I... so 100 years ago, the radio was a piece of furniture in your living room. Yeah. <laughs> okay? And now it is an uninteresting addition to your smartphone. So I, I refuse to believe that you made things smaller but somehow lost effectiveness. So, Anna, uh, I don't... I will not believe you if you say, well, the 10 things we couldn't do because we made it littler. So tell me, where are we on this? Yeah, I, I wonder if the question goes more towards a, a different space of concept, which is called the biosuit. And it, it's about all mechanical counterpressure. Because though, when I think about that, that's a very slim, small spacesuit. But the technologies that we are developing in, in the concept of a smart suit are, are sort of added to the current size of these spaces, so, so it's not going to be smaller. Um, but the, the biosuit of this idea of mechanical counterpressure, which is something that we are also implementing in this smart suit, is this idea of providing the pressure with mechanically, just with some garment really, really, really tight. Well, like they do for, for fighter pilots, right? When they go into right. high G turns, something squeezes their legs to put pressure so that the blood doesn't uh, go someplace where you don't want it or doesn't leave your head when it shouldn't. Right, like, Is yeah. that what it means? Yeah. So these are engineering solutions to the pressure problem. That's, it, it's like the same concept, just putting pressure, really, really elevated pressure. But I, for the spacesuit, you need to get up to 4.3 PSI, remember? Mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. so that's a lot of pressure. And that's another concept that has been out there for a while. And actually, Dr. Dama Newman, my former advisor, she... She has been the one pushing that idea, which is like literally get rid of all the gas and all the bulkiness and all the problems with mobility. And then just put this like super tight garment that actually looks really good. Going back to your question <laughs> about like, we want this piece to look good and to look, you know. And, mm -hmm. and that's another concept that is out there. And I don't think we are ready to do that much pressure in, in an equal way in your entire body. We, we don't know how to do it yet. It's like the concept right, is great, right. we just don't know how to do it. But okay. yeah, so we're, we're borrowing some of that concept a little bit in the sense like, remember that um, um, exoskeleton, soft exoskeleton layer mm -hmm. that we're trying to do? So that soft exoskeleton layer can also provide some mechanical counter pressure to help a little bit with that. So we, we are not um, looking for replacing the entire gas of this spacesuit with just mechanical pressure, but we can add a little bit of mechanical pressure so we can 
get a little bit less of gas pressure and help with mobility too. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. another trade-off that we are trying. Okay. Yeah. And, and by the way, any good engineering project will always have trade-offs. I mean, that's part of the how to how to become clever as an engineer is figure out how to minimize the trade-off, but you're always giving up something. Uh, so, so Matt, just a couple more minutes left. You got some some fast ones there. I'll chuck in two two quickies. Uh, and apologies to the people that we haven't. There's so many uh, really great questions that came in this week. James Smith from Indianapolis says, "I wonder if the smart suit has any other utilization out of space. Could a football player or swimmer, for example, take components from your invention and use them in their suits to gather any physical or outside data to use to their advantage?" I love it. I love it. Cool. Yeah, so any any use of an exoskeleton that helps you with human movement or human motion, it's it's a great application for this, a great spin-off for this. And and for data gathering, I mean, if, if you have yeah. your sensors in a football helmet, and then I can measure by the end of the game how, me, how much impulse or, or how much, you know, uh, acceleration your head goes through, that's got to be very useful. Yeah, so my, and actually I would mention, this remind me, my... Um, Colleague Professor Shepard, um, he is spinning off some of that technology also for sport applications. Now that you mentioned that. Okay, good. So it is happening. It Very is good. happening. I would have thought also that stuff would have had uses for people with disabilities as well uh, down on Earth. And on, oh, interesting. On that same note, Nicholas Lenson says in Scott Kelly's book Endurance, he mentions the hassle it is for an astronaut who has to wear glasses when they do a spacewalk. Uh, contact lenses weren't an option, so he had to glue his glasses on his head in one of his spacewalks to prevent them from falling. Are you taking visual impairments into account in the smart suit? How would that work? Mm. Oh, that's a great question. And, and I haven't thought much about it, but that's, that's correct. And astronauts experienced a lot of visual changes in space, and it, that's another area of research that I'm, I'm interested in. But I, yeah, no, that's a great comment. I'm actually taking it as a as a good idea for for future implementations for sure. Cool. So you know, you don't think about it if you're wearing glasses inside of a space helmet and the glasses fall off. There's nothing you can do. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're stuck on your chin. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, there's a lot that none of us have thought of. That I'm glad somebody out there is is on top of this situation. Anna, <laughs> guys, we gotta we gotta call it quits there. But this has been fun and enlightening, and very hopeful for what the future of space might be like. And I presume that you were describing the good-looking spacesuit. It can't make you look better than you otherwise would without the spacesuit, right? So, <laughs> so I'm just presuming that, right? Right. We'll get rid of my man, middle-aged man belly. This is, is the design so well. Yeah, you thought of like vertical that'll... stripes. That's all it needs. Just some. Oh, oh just some. <laughs> okay, um, Anna, it's been a delight to have you. And Matt, good to have you as always on Star Talk. Lovely being here. Excellent. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist. As always, keep looking up. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. 
Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.